0: chapter eight of the death shot this is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org. dot org the death shot by thomas may reed the coon hunter cautious during the time that drake is engaged in covering up clancy's body and afterwards occupied in the attempt to kill his dog the coon hunter squatted in the sycamore fork Sticks to his seat like death to a dead nigger. And all the time trembling, not without reason, for the silence succeeding this short exclamatory speech has now reassured him. He believes it to be a lul, Then, noting some pause in the action, and that one or both of the actors is still upon ground. If only one, it will be his master's, whose monologue was last heard. During this stillness somewhat prolonged, he continued to shape conjectures and put questions to himself as to what can have been the farces and its cause. Undoubtedly, a shooting disgrace between Dick Darley and Charles Clancy. But how has it terminated? Or is the end yet to come? Has one of the combatants been killed or gone away? Or have both forsaken the spot where they have been trying to spill each other's blood? While thus interrogating himself, a new sound disturbs the tranquility of the forest, the same, which the assassin at first fancied was the voice of one wailing for his victim, the coon hunter has no such delusion. Soon as hearing, he recognizes the tongue of a stag-hound, knowing it to be Clancy's. He is only astray for its peculiar tone, now quite changed. That animal is neither barking nor baying, nor yet does it yelp as if suffering chastisement. The softer mullous wine that comes pealing in in prolonged reverberation through the trunks of the cypresses. Prolong the stress of a different kind, as if a dog asleep and dreaming and now once more a man's voice his master's it too changed in tone no longer an angry claim or quiet conversation but as if earnestly entreating the speech evidently not addressed to clancy but the hound strange all this and so thinks the coon hunter he has but little time to dwell on it before another sound waking the echoes of the forest interrupts the current of his reflection another shot this time as twice before the bored round boom of a sophomore, so different from the short-sharp spang of a rifle. Truly versed in the distinction, needed than that, Blue Blew, knows for whose gun the shot has been discharged, it is a double barrel belonging to Richard Dark. all the more reason for him to hug close to his concealment. And not the least bit careful about the behavior of his own dog, which he is holding in a hard embrace, for hearing the bound, the curler is disposed to give response, with a slope but for the muscular finger of his master is closely choking around his throat. At intervals, attached to give it a cautionary curve. After the shot, the staghound hound continues its lugubrious cries, but again with altered intonation, only distinctly heard, as though the animal has gone farther off, as though the animal has gone farther off, and we're still making way. But now a new response strikes upon the cone hunter's ear, one at first light, but rapidly growing louder. It is the tread of footsteps accompanied by a swishing among the palmettoes, the form of underwood along the edge of the swamp. Someone is passing through them, advancing towards the tree where he is concealed. More than ever does he tremble on his perch, tighter than ever clung to the throat of his canine companion. For he is sure that the man whose footsteps speak approach is his master, or rather his master's son. The sound seems to indicate great haste, a retreat rapid, headlong, confused. On which the piquant slave basis of hope of escaping observation and to probable chastisement, correcting his conjecture as in the prognostication. In a few seconds after he sees wicked dark coming before the trees, running as for very live, the more likely that he goes cautiously, at intervals stopping to look back and listen, with chins almost touching his shoulder. When opposite the sycamore, indeed under it, he makes pause longer than usual. The perspiration stands in beads upon his forehead, pours down his cheek, over his eyebrow, almost blinding him. He whips the herdchief out of his coat pocket and wipes it off. While so occupied, he does not perceive that he has let something drop. Something white that come off along with the herdchief. Replacing the piece of he- cambric, he hurries on again, leaving it behind, unknown to the thud of the footfall, and the crisp ruffling of the stiff fan like leaves become both blended with the ordinary sound of the florist. Then, but not before, does Bluebeard think of forsaking the fork? Descending from his exam seat, he approaches the white thing left lying on the ground, a letter enveloped in the ordinary way. He takes it up and sees it has already been opened. He thinks not of drawing the sheet folded inside. It would be no use it would be no use, since the coon hunter cannot read. Still, an instinct tells him, the little bit of treasure trove may some time and in some way prove useful. So for casting he splits it into his pocket. This done, he stands reflecting. No noise to disturb him now. Drake's footsteps have died away in the distance, leaving swamp and cypress florists restored to their habitual stillness. The only sound, blue-blue herds, is the beating of his own heart, yet loud enough. No longer he thinks of the coon he has succeeded in training. The animal, late devoted to the certain death, will always escape to an accident, It may now repose securely within its cave. Its pursuit has other thoughts, emotions, strong enough to drive Coon Hunter clean out of his head. Among these apprehensions about his own safety, the one seen by Richard Drake, his presence there unsuspected. He knows that an unlucky chance has placed him in a position of danger. That a sinister deed has been done, he is sure. Under the circumstances, how is he to act? Proceed to the place hence the shot came, and ascertain what has actually occurred. At first, he thinks of doing this but surrenders the intention affrighted by what is already known to him he dares not know more his young master might be a murderer the way in which he was retreating almost said as much is he lubil to make himself acquainted with the crime and bear witness against him who has committed it as a slave he knows his testimony will count for little in a court of justice and as a slave of Ephraim drake as little would his life be worth after giving it the last reflection decides him and so carrying the coon hunter in his arm he parts from the spot in timid skulking gait, never stopping, not feeling safe, till he finds himself inside the limit of the negro quarter. End of chapter The Coon Hunter Cautious